Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. Natalie Petrohoff. Natalie is a best-selling author and consultant. Natalie's career spans many years in technology and customer and employee experience with positions in and consulting at companies including Salesforce, Hulu, Marriott, General Motors, General Electric, and many more. Natalie holds a PhD in material science and engineering from the University of California and years as a rocket scientist providing her with the left brain skills to strategically analyze how things work and to redesign the world for a better future. Natalie's current passion is shifting outdated paradigms by juxtaposing current beliefs with seemingly contradictory ones to reveal insights to drive the future of work, customer experiences, businesses, and humanity moving forward. She believes we can imbue technology with our hopes and dreams for a future focused on bettering humanity. We're excited to have Natalie with us here today as we talk about the disconnect with a customer experience, the future of the workforce, and her new book, Empathy in Action. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you. So nice to have you here. You know, as we get started, I would love our listeners to learn just a little bit about you and what inspired you to get into this work around technology and customer experience. So I started my career as an engineer and a scientist at General Electric, General Motors, and I found the work environment very fascinating. And so one of the first experiments I had to do at General Motors was they came to me and they said, we're thinking about changing the way that we do coding on doors, car doors. And so there's a coding before they put the paint on called galvanizing. Mm. And they were doing two-sided galvanizing, which means both sides of the doors are galvanized. And they said, we're going to try to do one. And the question was, will the door corrode faster? I'm going in my brain, like, yeah, I'm just like brand new on the job here. But yes, I think there's a reason we've been doing it this way. But I'm like, okay. So I did the experiment. The answer was yes. We did the meeting, right? So we got all these muckety mucks coming in, you know, with our charts and PowerPoints and all that kind of stuff. And um, I showed the results and they go, okay. And it's like twice as fast, right? So I'm imagining living in Detroit, cars driving around and holes in the side, right? Thinking, wow, that would be terrible. So they said, okay, thank you. And I said, well, wait, you know, like I was very invested in my work and really excited. That they asked me and I said, what are you guys going to do? And they said, oh, well, why do you care? Oh. And I was like, oh, interesting question, right? And I said, well, you know, I'm just really wondering. And they said, we're going to go with one-sided. And I said, uh-huh. well, but won't Very- that degrade the value of the product? And they said to me, we don't understand why you're so concerned about this because huh. you're just a scientist. And I said, well, I think it's really bad marketing and branding and a bad customer experience and it's going to hurt the brand. And they're like, but you're an engineer. Don't worry about it. So they're literally perplexed about your questions that <laughs> almost seem... <laughs> inappropriate or out of my scope or sphere of influence or right. And so that was a really interesting experience for a customer, you know, of General Motors had bought many cars. And I just thought it was really interesting that they really didn't want my opinion. Right. So here's executives saying that, 
employees are so important and everybody matters. And yet when you want to participate, they really weren't interested, right? So it was kind of like a platitude on a plaque exactly. on a wall somewhere. Exactly. And, and, the, and I thought that I was showing initiative, that I truly, really cared. And so it was just very fascinating to me to kind of feel a little invisible. Mm. But you're speaking in some ways for those doing the work that this makes sense from your findings, but also the customer side. And you're trying almost to advocate and speak up for those who are going to be using the product that the research shows from what you're finding, that this is going to be the best product they could walk out of the sales office with and off the lot with. But that wasn't being prioritized. No, planned obsolescence was. Mm. Got it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this yeah. segues into an experience you want people to have coming out, the customer, the employee experience. Begin to connect this route for us. So I think that experience at work was really fascinating at, you know, in, in like my first real job. And I had experienced some really great leaders and managers. And so the difference was very obvious to me when you had an engaged leader or engaged manager, especially mm. as a brand new employee, because you're like so excited just to be there and you got oh, the yeah. job, you interviewed and you got the job and it's just really exciting to be contributing. And yet, you know, and every time the 10K would come out or, you know, we'd have an all hands meeting, they would talk about this concept of how important our customers are and how important our employees are. But then we would do the employee survey every yeah. January and we'd get dismal results, right? And they were always perplexed why. And so I started to see that while companies talk about customer and employee experience and the importance of those two assets, most companies don't walk their talk. And then I saw evidence later in my career, like Herb Keller, who ran Southwest Airlines for a very long time and did the concept of management by walking around, right? Yeah. So there have been icons in the field that really do not only talk about this, but instead of being a paper platitude, yes. you know, or a plaque platitude, yeah. it was really their DNA. And what I realized was this is in my DNA. This is who mm. I am. And it comes from a set of beliefs about how you conduct yourself, about that mm. you are your word, that you really want the best for others. And I realized that there was a big discrepancy between what we say and what we actually do. And that corporate America, there's no litmus test. Like, mm -hmm. so you can have the platitudes on the wall and you can get really excited about becoming an employee and then you get there. And then there's this sense of being let down. Yeah, it's really a buzzkill, isn't it? I mean, they're, 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 as you're talking about it, yeah, it's a buzzkill here. You're talking about this disconnect. I mean, they're talking about the importance of it and measuring it and the data's right there, but there's this disconnect that somehow it's got to impact the current state of the workforce. What is the impact were you finding of that so, disconnect and that buzzkill? So what's interesting is in the book, we talk about the five industrial revolutions. And so in each industrial revolution in our world is really propelled yeah. by technology, right? So in the first industrial revolution, you know, there's all these new machines and new ways of doing business and the second and the third, and each one brings about new capabilities that exponentially propel us forward. Mm -hmm. But what I also noticed was that we haven't evolved 
on a emotional consciousness level through those industrial revolutions. And so in the first, second, third, we were really looking at the treatment of workers, right? And we were looking at, you know, people worked in factories, they worked 14 hour days, there were no breaks, you couldn't go to the bathroom, you couldn't eat, there was child labor, machines were often dangerous, there were chemicals, right? Like if you go back, go on YouTube and look at, look at first industrial revolution factory workers, and you're just like, oh my God, that could that be true? But that's what our fathers and our grandfathers and mothers experienced. And so I think what we're seeing now, so the, the consequence of that bad experience was unions. The leaders didn't want unions and yet they were forced to change things that needed to be changed, that would probably make everything better for everyone, but they had to be forced into doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I, what I see now is the great resignation. I see quiet quitting, right? So there's, and every time I look on Instagram and Forbes and fortune have a lot of magazines, articles, and they're talking about the newest, latest way that employees, I think are trying to get back at a system that they feel betrayed by. So it's not that employees don't appreciate their work or don't want to be productive. They don't like the experience that they're having. And what I see, there's a lot of CEOs talking about, you know, how upset and employees must return to work Mm -hmm. and they must do this and they must do that. And they're trying to go back to what we had, which was very much a command and control structure, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you and you're going to do this, or there's somebody out there waiting for your job. So do it or else. And sometimes that's spoken and sometimes that's unspoken. And I think there was a recent article where they were talking about the younger generations and how they were taking three jobs, three full-time jobs and working them all at the same time, but not revealing that to an employer and thinking that's fine because, and in their mind, right? And so go back to what empathy is, right? Empathy is the definition of sitting in the seat of someone else, seeing the world through their eyes, and then taking action based on the information that you receive. So if the CEOs that are, you know, so adamant about how bad employees are and how disappointed they are in their productivity and all these things, if they actually sat in the seat of the employee to understand why they're feeling disdain or frustration or not motivated. There's Mm -hmm. a whole lot of talk about productivity, right? right? If they actually sat in the seat of those employees and they could see the world through their eyes, they would have a much better understanding of the current circumstances and the current actions, but they're not right. So empathy is not a practice. Empathy is not part of how most leaders lead. They think I know I tell you do. I appreciate bringing and weaving in this empathic kind of attunement to the assessment process here. And you're talking about if we're going to evolve from just simply production being, you know, the Holy grail and how much we can spit out, but we can actually increase an overall betterment in business by bringing in a a conscious awareness of the interpersonal experiences employees have at work, the customer has in the in the sales process. And I know that your passion is, is working to shift old, outdated paradigms by juxtaposing current beliefs with seemingly contradictory ideas to reveal some new insights. And, and that evolutionary change, that paradigm shift, 
has got to be a challenging one. And I'm curious if you could give us, a, yeah, that's probably an understatement, but yeah. give us a, give us a sense of, of an old paradigm like you're doing right now and how you try and come in and try and juxtapose current beliefs to gain that new insight that you're saying that it actually can make things better exponentially. So a good example is if you look at two assets that a business has, employees and customers, neither are on the balance sheet yet. Without employees, there's no one to build the products and services. And without customers, there is no one to buy them. So you have two very important assets. We don't include them on the PL. Mm. So they're not attended to in the same way that other assets are. They're not measured the same. They're not attended to. There's a lot of talk about attrition or maybe CSAT, customer satisfaction. And so the concept, the business model, empathy as a business concept, right? So mm -hmm. most people think it's an emotional concept. What I'm trying to say is this is actually a business concept. Yes. Can you park on that just for a second? That, that's an important sure. piece. This just isn't some feel-good thing. This is essential we, and part of a new, uh, part of a DNA that's actually in there that's not being paid attention to. And you're trying to bring attention to it to say, this is already there, but you're not factoring it in. Let me try and bring it to your attention rather than kind of having this myopic view. You're trying to open the kind of the aperture around this and say, there's something larger here that I'd love you to see. And if we can tap into, we can make some good changes here. Exactly. So the concept of empathy as a business concept will yeah. actually reduce your costs yes. and increase your revenue. So then the next thing people say to me is, oh, you want me to spend more? No. No. I'm not asking you to spend more. I'm asking you to spend wisely and differently. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? I said, well, look at attrition, look at productivity. What if you, by the way that you treat people yes, and you don't know what you don't know, it's a blind spot until you start to ask employees what they want and need. And it's probably not redecorating the elevator or coffee cup. That actually happened in one of my careers is they redid the elevator interiors. And then wondered why we weren't happy. Appreciate all this work. That's yeah, right. all this work. Well, they probably had leftover money in a facilities budget or something. Hopefully they double-sided the doors. <laughs> yeah. So the concept here is to really listen to your employees and really look at what would make them happier. And you don't know till you don't know yeah. until you ask. So if you had employees who are really excited and couldn't wait to get up in the morning and- yeah had all these brand new ideas and were really motivated to implement them. So if you had to hire two, you know, there's two kinds of employees. Somebody's like, Oh, hit the snooze. Oh, I'm going to be late. You know, my cat ate my homework. I can't get right. there. Like whatever, whatever the story is versus an employee who's just like so excited and so gigged and so thankful to be there and working really hard. And which employee would you want? Yeah, exactly. So the kind of employee that we're creating by not really looking at the employee experience is that first kind of employee. Mm -hmm. So what's fascinating about return on investment and business models is there are costs that sometimes seem invisible, but they're not invisible because they actually pull or drag down your profit. And so having 
employees that are not really, you may, let's say you're paying someone a dollar, right? Yeah. But they're only doing 60, 40 to 60% of the work that you think you're paying them for that dollar. And you're wondering, where did my profit go? Well, part of that is because you've created a poor employee culture experience, people are half checked out. Yeah. So you're paying them a dollar, but they're doing 40 to 60 cents worth of work, right? And it's not that hard to change the culture or to provide a better experience, but it does take a conscious effort to do some self-reflecting as a leader. Yeah. And to look at what is the employee environment and then ask employees what they'd really like and make that a daily practice if you're a manager or a true you know, employee survey. And then once you get that feedback, actually taking action yeah. on that, right? Can I park you just for a second? Sure. You're saying something that I think is really interesting. And I, and I want to shift into the customer in just a moment. But you're talking about how um, we can look to address some of the business concepts through empathy and how we spend in order to build that. But in many ways, you're talking about two different models. Let's break them down. There's, there's a business model and there's a relationship model. And oftentimes those in a business mindset using the business model don't necessarily prioritize the relationship model. And so it's hard when you're driving by business concepts and productivity and all the markers that we would attribute to a good business shows these kinds of numbers, right? And then you're saying, well, somewhere along the lines here, you've got to weave in relationships because people will feel better to be more productive. But it's hard sometimes for those working out of and just organize themselves around a business model to do their relationship. Now, the opposite's a little bit different. You're talking about uh, Southwest. If you have someone with a relationship model almost kind of in their DNA, they can build in the business far more easily because you're talking about the most fundamental thing developmentally that we have, it's it's all based in relationships. And if we feel secure in our relationships, that you care for me, that I'm going to be understood and I'm going to work hard and there's going to be this nice interaction back and forth, we can have a secure relationship. Otherwise, it's going to be anxious, it's going to be ambivalent, it's going to be insecure. All those things come out of those that tend to lead with a business and then try and put in the relationship versus those that lead with a relationship and then bring the business piece in to meld it together. And that's, I think the latter part is what you're talking about here is the empathy really fits into the relationship model. And you're asking those with more of a business mind to trust this. It's not just some feel good or some, you know, put on the music kind of thing. This is fundamentally how we're wired. Right. As human beings, this is how we're wired. And what I'm asking yeah. for leaders to, to really consider when empathy is your business model, yes, you are not separating the relationship model and the financial productivity marker no. model, right? It is a combination. Yes. So we're not building Kumbaya factories. No. This is not about pizza parties. It's right? not either or, because I think it's that's the or. fear. I think the business thinks that we, if, if we get to Kumbaya around this, we're going to lose our edge in business. But it's, it's, that's not the case. There's a, there's a healthy blending here that you're talking about being facilitated through an empathic understanding and an empathic relationship that begins to kind of further something really possible. Yes. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's really um, good. It's a, kind of a life's work looking at every business that I've been in, the promise, right? 
that you think you're going to get as an employee and then continually feeling the sense of, in some cases, betrayal, because mm-hmm. what was promised was so amazing. Right. And then you get there and there's nobody to greet. Like I had one job where, and you know, these are pretty high level jobs. They forgot that it was my starting date. So there was no one there to oh. greet me. This is back in the day when you went in, right? No computer, no desk, just like. You're just showing and up and. Showing up and nobody's home. Oh, that's so, brutal. And you're like, huh, did I make a mistake? Probably. Yeah. So, and that's what's really difficult, I think, because we'll think about washboard stomach, right? Everybody wants a washboard stomach. But how many of us are down on the floor doing the sit-ups, right? And so I'm talking about a brand new paradigm that people barely can get their heads around, Mm -hmm. right? So I've been, the book's been out a while and I'm still explaining the difference between sympathy and empathy. Yes. Yeah. I'm not feeling sorry for you. I'm feeling with you. I'm getting an understanding of you, but you're also talking about a relationship here. You're talking about employers having a more empathic attunement and awareness. And if they can, they're going to motivate, inspire, create vision, get better performance, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's just natural what happens. And we can even see it in the relationship model. Parents have to bond and if parents bond, children can't help but attach literally in our DNA. Like you said earlier, I love that piece. And if employers are looking to bond like a parent would, employees can't help but respond to that in, in, in a healthy attachment, secure attachment. But you're also talking about another piece to this because it is a relationship. How do you encourage employees to have an empathic understanding of what it takes to run a business? People say, well, if this business wouldn't be here without us, yeah, you wouldn't be here if the business wasn't here. And these people were making these sacrifices and taking these risks. You wouldn't have a job. So don't get all high on yourself. It's basically saying there's a relationship that we each contribute to in a really beautiful, you know, synchronous way. And we're interdependent in some of the most beautiful ways. What's the, what's the encouragement around employees having an empathic understanding also in the relationship piece of this? How do you encourage that? One of the pillars, the empathy pillars is culture. Can right? we go there right now? Let's go there. Let's talk yeah, about let's these empathy there. pillars. I like that. So one of the pillars is culture, right? And so it's not just about leaders having yeah. an empathic way of being or becoming right. an empathy practitioner. It's everybody, yeah. right? Every single person and every single person is important in a company yeah. and they all need to understand. So sometimes CEOs need to make very difficult decisions, right? And the decisions often are not understood by employees. And sometimes it happens that you can't really reveal why you're making that decision. And I kind of want to poke the bear there and say, couldn't we be a little bit more transparent and authentic, right? Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Because that would help people understand why something's happening. I think it also takes an employee culture where people feel psychologically safe. And so I think part of why you don't have that child parent bonding. And I really think corporations are just like one big happy or unhappy family. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a system systems all over the place, but it's a family. Exactly. It's a family and, and the dynamics that play out are, you know, either positive, healthy relationships are often very dysfunctional. And I think a lot of that comes down to psychological safety. Mm -hmm. And so if employees feel safe, 
about expressing disappointment or frustration or have the opportunity to ask questions and not just get like statements back that are kind of like, yeah, that doesn't jive. I don't believe you. But where they feel, but but what you're saying, but but where they really feel heard and understood. Mm -hmm. And it was important that it got shared and it got, and it got expressed. And there was an appreciation for that. Even if they can't go with it, there's an acknowledgement that says, you know, I, I wish we could go down that path or maybe we can't, but here's why we have to go down this one. But I appreciate what you came and brought to me. That's a valuing moment, isn't it? Yes. And I think that empathy is not really about agreement. No. Right. It is about understanding and acknowledging and taking action in that new direction. And it's then about alignment, right? Mm -hmm. So even though you might not agree with something without alignment, and I think that I see this a lot of times in the companies that I'm working with, is that employees are shaking their head. They're saying yes, but they're actually their body language and their right they're gone there's no freaking way I'm doing this and they're really shaking their head no so because they don't feel seen they don't feel heard and they don't feel understood and they don't they feel like something's off right and they're frustrated and so I think there's a whole new field for HR right to look at how do you build an empathetic organization how do you develop leadership development so that leaders understand this concept and yes. create a culture that's psychologically safe to express a differing opinion yeah. right and so if you go back to the command and control kind of alignment there's no room for those discussions i am going to tell you and this is how it's done what i did find and part of working at general motors was very fascinating because there was always the looming Japanese auto market, right? Mm -hmm. And so what Edward Deming, and he's one of my heroes, you asked, who do I look up to? Yeah, yeah, who kind of helped to build this house? Edward Deming was one of those people. So in the 50s and 60s, he said to the American auto industry, if you really truly care about your customers and you really look at quality, right? His whole thing, he was a quality person. You really build the best quality product that really serves the needs. And this would be the job to be done by Clayton Christensen. He later came up with that. Like what, what does the customer really, really want? Are you just building something you think the customer wants? Right. Right. Are you really listening to that customer? And he tried to get the American auto industry to understand this concept. And they said, ah, we don't need that. We have lots of customers and we're not really worried about it. So Edward- That's Demi really went, disrespectful, isn't it? It's Well, it's disrespectful, but yeah. but ends up being as a business model, pretty damn stupid. Exactly. Right? And so, so when you get down to it, mm-hmm. not acknowledging the feedback, mm-hmm. not being empathetic, not hearing the other side, getting that feedback and integrating it into your actions and how you do business- makes no sense. So not an idea, right? Here's proof point. Deming went to Japan. He taught the Japanese auto market how to be empathetic to the customer, how to be empathetic to employees, and almost destroyed the American auto industry. I don't know that it's really recovered, at least not to the place it was before Deming. So if we're really smart, can start to learn from history. 
And I think what I'm bringing into the world is this idea of this is a tipping point. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm the oracle that's just putting it out there. But if you don't get this now, mm-hmm. it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah. Because this is the way the world is going. And the companies that are doing well in a not so great economy are the ones that are listening to their employees, listening to their customers, integrating that feedback into their business, right? And so it's easy, but it's not simple, right? Because we're shifting paradigms, we're shifting behaviors. And I go back to the sit-up, how many of us would like to have a washboard stomach? Everybody would look great in their summer wear, right? right? But how many of us have the discipline to go, okay, I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change what I eat. I'm going to change things about me so that I can have a different result in six weeks, yeah. six months, two years, right? And so what I'm asking is for leaders to really hear this. So what I would like for all employees is yeah. understand this concept and quit your jobs at places that don't treat you well. That's yeah. the biggest way to tell employers I'm not putting up with this anymore. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to something you said that kind of dovetails with this idea of disallowing things that don't work. You know, if we go back to this idea that we have systems everywhere we go, if you're on a team, that's a system. If you're in a place of business, that's a system. If you're in a family, there's a family system. It's, it's all systems. And pretty much it's the same thing. Little do we know it, that we grow up in a family system and that system becomes an unconscious paradigm, schemata, model for how we come into the world. It organizes everything we do, whether we're conscious of it or not. And we replicate things we grew up with, roles, assignments, communication strategies, problem-solving techniques, ways that we think things work. And we, we, we find that being implemented in our current systems in our adult years. And you're talking about shifting a paradigm. What, what gets exciting for me, and this is what we do in psychology, and this is what you're doing in your work, is we have an opportunity to create a system now in our lives, in our adult lives, that maybe we didn't get a chance to grow up with. Little do we know that we're bringing that family model into our place of work, whether we're the boss or whether we're the employee, how did your parent treat you growing up? Did you have a voice? Were they respectful? Did you have an opportunity to be valued? If so, wow, you're going to be motivated. You come in with ideas. If you didn't, you're going to be reticent to share things, or you're going to be a little salty before you even come in because you're not anticipating good consequences or good interactions. 
Or, you know, if you're talking about, again, if you have just a strict business model versus a relationship model, then you're, you're going to have trouble just inherently. But you're saying that quite possibly a work environment could be the healthiest system for someone to be in now in their lives. They could come in a, in a way, a company could be working away. It could be one of the healthiest systems in their lives if they can understand what you're proposing here and kind of being an oracle around. That's pretty exciting. I think so. I yeah. We spend so much of our time at work, probably eight to 10 hours, more time than we actually spend with our own families. Absolutely. Let's say you came into the world with not such a good family structure, disappointment, mm. disapproval, and then you go to work and you haven't shifted some of those things. And then you recreate that there. Exactly. So you have leaders recreating a family construct and you have employees creating bad family constructs and so then you just have this like clash oh, of, man. of stuff that doesn't work and so what i'm trying to say is in the construct that you have as a leader in a culture the basic minimum that you can do is actually listen and understand yes one another so that you can understand where they're coming from. And what's so fascinating when I did a lot of work in social media was the idea of communities or the mm -hmm. idea of, you know, a brand has a social handle on Twitter or Facebook or whatever online community. And for many, many years, they relied on market research, right? Which was like 12 people eating sandwiches, giving feedback for an hour about a brand, right? And it costs hundred thousands of dollars, right? If you just go online and you look at what's posted about your brand, there's so much information and communities. Yeah. So I, I had one experience where I was working with a, a diaper bag company. And, and this kind of leans us into the customer stuff. And everybody loved the diaper bag, but it was mostly a female population. And there was one guy who had the guts to post and he said, I love the diaper bag. I use it, but it feels not me, right? And so if you could make one out of leather or blue jeans right. or just something that made- Maybe not quite so feminine kind of thing. Not, yes, not yeah. so like flowers and sure. rainbows and, yeah. right? And so I was working with them and I was going through like all the posts and we were analyzing them. And so I pointed to that one. And it could have been easily missed, right? If we weren't really diving in and looking. And I said, that's a whole new product line. Mm. Diaper bags for males. Yeah, I love Guess that. He did it. And because nobody was thinking about it, they were first to market and it became so popular. And it's like all the dads, right? Yeah. Or oh, all yeah. the nephews or all the uncles, they're like, oh, that one, yes. right? So- when you listen to customer feedback, there are so many opportunities to make things better, to have new product lines, to have innovations that you couldn't possibly have thought of, yeah. right? And I think that goes back to the old paradigm of Henry Ford said, well, people don't know what they want, so we're going to tell them what they want, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So they didn't know that they wanted a car because they used horses. So that mindset and construct of we know better as management has lasted oh, over a hundred years. Yeah. What I'm trying to say now is it would behoove you. It would create new revenue streams, new revenue models, more profit. 
if you actually listen to your customers. Yeah, because it's really what, good. What customers buy is the experience of your product. So mm -hmm. a basic, simple example would be a pencil. So when you buy a pencil, the ultimate goal of the pencil is to write, but it's the use of the pencil that determines whether you buy again. So when you go to a race, you know, sometimes when you erase and then the eraser kind of like starts to bend and then breaks off mm -hmm. or leaves smudges on your paper. And then when you go to sharpen the pencil, how long does it stay sharp? Right? What color is the, the writing? So what people are buying is the experience of using your product. Yes. So one of the things I'm working with, with companies is go use your product. Mm. Understand what the customer experience is right. and start from buying it, asking questions, getting service, using it. And when you start to look at all that information that, that you might've paid a, a research firm for right now, that information, if you're actually actively engaging with your customers is at your fingertips, which yeah. is going to make you have unique differentiated offerings Yes, because you're actually focused in on the people who buy your stuff and you can find new audiences and new demographics. Yeah. I think negative feedback is the canary in the coal mine. So it's like a warning and it's also gold because mm -hmm. it tells you things that you didn't know that you didn't know. And so in the book, we talk a lot about blind spots. And so feedback can mm -hmm. be negative. It can be positive. It can be in the middle, but it's all valuable. And I, I think companies are scared of it, right? Yeah. And they think that they know, but right. I can tell you I'm working with DoorDash right now and they're implementing the concepts in the book. And I had a concept of what this would be like, right? And I'm seeing how they're taking it and how they're implementing it in their business. And they came up with stuff that's really cool that I wouldn't have thought of. Really and I'm good. like, oh my gosh, this is but really you, But fun. when you see an idea, you can get to watch and with a little bit outside the box, the proverbial box, that's where creativity and new innovation can come from and this interaction. I know we're kind of winding down a little bit on our time here, but how does technology fit? with this empathic lens? So I think probably the biggest area for empathy is customer service and technology. Mm -hmm. So when you go on a website and you start to, let's say you've logged onto a website and you're looking at a product and then you put it in a shopping cart, but then you have some questions. And so you start to look at the FAQs and you're not really finding what you need. And then you open up a chat bot. And the chat bot says, hi, how can I help you? Really open-ended, right? And then you say, well, I'm, I'm looking at this paint and I wanted to know if it had any lead in it. And I want to make sure, you know, it's, I'm painting a baby's room and maybe they don't have the answer, right? And then they're going to send you to a customer service agent. And then you have to start your story all over again, mm -hmm. right? From zero. There is technology now, customer journey analytics technology that can understand what you're doing. Let's say you're logged in, you're authenticated, so it's not creepy. They can understand what you're doing, what you're looking for, can greet you as a customer and understand real time. So it's really about using intelligent chatbots that have the customer journey analytics built in so that it can get right to the question. Those are some cool ways to improve that experience and a 
some nice solutions inherently in being able just to kind of maintain some continuity all the way through. As we kind of wind down for today, if you were to leave our listeners with a thought about the ways that they might assess their own work environment, and maybe a personal question they might ask themselves about the ways that they could contribute to bettering their work environment and culture, what would you leave them with? I would say the first thing is what is the leadership style in your company? So are people really stopping and asking questions or are they leading from, and I think a lot of times everybody's in such a rush, right? So I have this saying, you need to slow down to go fast. Mm -hmm. And so when you start a meeting, are you just like presenting information and you need to get through it and then at the top of the hour, then you're like, well, any questions? And there's really not any time built in for people to express what they saw or how they felt about what they saw. And so structuring little things like structuring meetings, making half the meeting content and half interaction and feedback. Looking at how healthy the relationships are with managers. Is there psychological safety? Or do you have people yelling or admonishing or blaming, right? And so slowing down to see behaviors and then naming it. And then some of that might be scary. So maybe having really talented people in HR to help step you through, you know, leadership development, coaching, how do we help our leaders do that? And then how do we assess our culture So maybe your employee surveys, changing some of the questions so that you're really asking, are we creating a culture where you feel psychologically safe? Do you feel like you're heard, understood, appreciated? Do you feel like you can express feedback? I think some of those things are kind of the tip of the iceberg. And then going through, you know, the culture, the leadership, the technology, and then what do you measure? Because you get what you measure. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking as you're doing this, I'm thinking about we should change HR to HR&R, where it would be human resources and relationships, because that's what you're you're advocating for here, where there's a nice blend of resources that are necessary for business to run, but the relationships that make them run inherently. That's some good stuff. This is a great conversation, Natalie. I sure appreciate it. You know, I would love our listeners to be able to follow up with you after our show today. How can they learn more about you and your book, Empathy in Action? You can find me at Dr. Natalie News dot com or you can find me on LinkedIn and um, it's dr Natalie Petahoff on LinkedIn and those are probably the two best places. Fantastic. And we'll put those links up on our site afterwards after the show as well. So our, our listeners can follow up. Natalie, it's been great to have you with us. So enjoy the conversation. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Natalie and me. It's always great to have you with us. I want to remind you that this episode today and all of its resources can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.